Open, outspoken, it's ophthalmology off the grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Gary Words. Batman and Robin, Bonnie and Clyde, Hall and Oates, Wayne and Garth, and Gary and John. That's right, a well-oiled cataract retina tag team joins the ranks of the most famous duos in history. Um, all kidding aside, there is something to be said for partnerships formed between cataract surgeons and their retina colleagues. In this episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid, I talked to Dr. John Kitchens, a retina specialist here in Lexington, Kentucky, and my posterior segment counterpart in the OR. We'll explore what's unique about our relationship and how we join forces to provide the best outcomes possible for our patients. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon. This is Ophthalmology Off the Grid with Dr. Gary Wirtz, and today I have with me Dr. John Kitchens. So John, I just want to say thank you very much for taking a little bit of time out of your evening and uh, talking to me about stuff that we actually do a lot together, which is a lot of fun, which is operating in tandem as a uh, cataract and retina duo. So uh, with that being said, John, thanks for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having me, Gary. Appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. And uh, just as a little bit of background, John and I have been working together, what would you say, probably close to five to six years at this point? Gosh, it's, it seems like longer, but yeah, it's, it, we've been at least five years. Yeah, so um, I've had the real privilege and benefit of having a, just a tremendous retina group here in Lexington to refer patients to. And uh, John and I have really um, hit it off and become good friends um, just really through work and also through uh, some other activities uh, here in Lexington, just being ophthalmologists and trying to take good care of patients. But um, through our time working together, we've really, uh, I think, come up with a unique uh, relationship that's allowed us to take care of patients, maybe in a little bit of a unique way. And um, as we were just kind of discussing this the last time we were in the operating room together, I said, you know, maybe this is something that other cataract surgeons and perhaps other retina doctors around the country would find beneficial to, t- to really discuss what's the best way for a cataract surgeon and a retina surgeon to work together to give patients optimal results. And so, you know, as you, you know, on your side of the equation, John, when you have a patient who's either post-cataract surgery or someone, someone who you're about to do surgery on, but you see that they have a cataract, what are the things that really go through your mind, um, either in regards to when patients should have cataract surgery or how cataract surgeons can perhaps set you up for better success and taking care of these folks? Well, you know, Gary, I think the biggest thing is, is, is really communication. You know, I mean, I love the fact that I can just text you about, about a patient and send you a one line, you know, text message. A lot of times I use, I use voice dictation, um, in the room with the patient. I say, Hey, you know what, if you have a question about things, let me just text Dr. Words and see what he says. And, and the thing is, is that you're always getting back to me about these patients and always very good very good at communicating, you know, what you find out about the patient, what you're thinking. For me as a retina specialist, I'll tell you, partnering with a great cataract surgeon really enhances your patient's outcomes and your patient's experience. Um, I certainly feel like anybody that we're going to operate on would, would benefit from being pseudofaking because to be honest with you, when we do a vitrectomy on a patient, they're going to get a cataract, you know, more often than not. And having that cataract out of the eye, even potentially before we operate on them, just makes our surgery easier. It makes it more reliable for the patient. It gives us a better view into the back of the eye. 
And so there's a lot of reasons to want to have that patient have their cataract taken out um, prior to their retina surgery. Uh, you know, oftentimes we'll get these patients um, uh, that have an epiretinal membrane or some other macular problem, vitromacular traction, and a cataract. And, and in a lot of instances, they're actually sent to the cataract first. And what you guys are really good at, and, and good cataract surgeons are really great at, is picking up the fact that, hey, it could be multifactorial. And a lot of times I'll talk to those patients and I'll say, you know what, you've got this epiretinal membrane, you've got a cataract. In my mind, it could be 50-50. You know, I mean, your reason for your 20-50 or 20-80 vision, maybe a little bit of both. But you know what, let's take the cataract out first and see where you're at. And, and then if you need macular surgery, great. But since it's a little higher risk proposition, maybe we should go ahead and do the cataract surgery first. And knowing that there's a cataract surgeon that's there and will listen to that and get that cataract done is, is fantastic and is so reassuring. Now, there's other times when we'll look at somebody and go, you know what? This epiretinal membrane looks visually significant, but I also think that for me to do the best surgery, I need to have that cataract out of there. And I also think that the patient's going to do better with the cataract out of there. And that's when it's really synergistic to be able to pair up with somebody like yourself to go in and say, hey, you know what, take that cataract out first. And at the same time, I'll go in and I'll do my vitrectomy and my membrane peel. I'll know that I'm going to have a good clear cornea without a lot of edema. I'm going to have a good view, a well-placed IOL. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of times those are the patients that we see back in a week. And they've gone from 2080 to 2040. And I know that that 2080 to 2040 is because of their cataract surgery. And it's really only about eight to 10 weeks later when they really see the benefit of their epiretinal membrane surgery. But guess what? They get that wow effect. And so they're coming in and very rarely as retina specialists do we get hugs at one week. You know, we may get them at eight to 12 weeks, but we don't get them at one week. But when I pair up with, with someone like yourself and do the cataract combined procedure, we get those, those impressive results and we get those immediate returns where the patient is just wowed. Well, John, you know, you're making me want to maybe go back and do a retina fellowship. If I, if I got hugs for 2040 at one week, um, I would think that the, the, something had happened, that the world had stopped spinning on its axis. Usually I'm, I'm getting the, the knife in the back if it's 2040 at one week. So uh, definitely a different a difference in patients that were taken care of. But I, I do know what you mean. You know, it's, it's really setting up expectations. And when patients do um, see a real noticeable improvement in their quality of vision, they are absolutely thrilled with it. And, um, you know, we, we definitely see that. And, you know, what I found um, really helpful and just from a practice pattern standpoint is those subset of patients who either have a cataract that is so opaque, white, black, brown, you name it, that you can't see to the back. Maybe they have silicone oil in the eye and you've not seen their retina in a while. Or on the flip side, it's someone who definitely has uh, macular pathology, um, such as a patient with VMT or um, an, an epiretinal membrane and a visually significant cataract. You know, if I were that patient, if it could be offered to have immediate sequential cataract surgery and a vitrectomy with a membrane peel, that's just so attractive. It's, it's less, um, you know, running around for their family. It's less time off work. It's really just doing the right thing for the patient. And, you know, I'm not a vitreoretinal surgeon, so I can't offer that. And, you know, if we can pair together and we can provide that for the patient, you know, I will say, um, you know, we do this generally once or twice a month on a handful of patients. And, you know, I really, I really can tell from the patients and their family that they're really thankful. They understand that we're doing something that's a little bit unique 
and we're, we're really trying to put them at the top of our of our pyramid of, of care and they're very very appreciative of that and so you know is this something that you know of a lot of other guys around the country that are doing I know it's not totally unique um, but I do feel like the fact that we can get in there and get a you know potentially a cataract and a, and a retinal procedure done in, in short order um, I think that's really helpful for those subset of patients you know, I, th I think that it does happen, but a lot of times it happens in practices that are already established that have a cataract person and a retina person, right? Um, or practices that are academic and say have a lot of you know residents or fellows that may do the cataract surgery, and then the retina person does the retina surgery. But I know of very few, Gary, that actually you know take two separate disparate practices and have you know such synergy where where you can pair. The, the cataract person who has the idea of what I want, you know, and that's what I appreciate is, is the fact that if I have a patient who, let's say, has silicone oil in their eye, and I, I say to you, hey, I don't know, and I do this by, via a dictated letter, so it's very easy to do, I don't know if this patient's going to have their oil out or not. I can't see into the back of their eye. But I say, you know what, I want you to take the cataract out, then let me take a look in. And you've got them aphakic, you know, with a capsule intact and everything such as that. I look in, and, and now for the first time in a year or maybe two years, I've been able to see the back of their eye because they've had oil in their eye and this cataract. Um, and I go, you know what? This patient's not going to have this oil out because I don't feel like the retina's going to stay attached. I can then look at you and go, hey, you know what? We're going to keep the oil in, put a lens in appropriate for them having oil in their eye. And you've already done everything. You've done the legwork on the calculations to know here's the calculation that will offset the refractive difference between oil and 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 uh, clear vitreous, and this is what we're going to put in. And it's surprising the number of people who have retained silicone on their eye long term, that have attached maculas that have 2,200 or better vision, because they have the right IOL in their eye. I don't want to have a patient that has to come back and get a plus five prescription, you know, because basically you put a standard pseudophagic IOL in their eye. Right. I want a patient's going to come back and get the very best vision uncorrected, and then we can talk about adding a magnifier or adding you know other low vision aids to them as far as that goes. Right, and so that's just really reassuring. Well, and you know I want to credit Warren Hill um, for helping me with that. So if if there are docs out there who are uh, dealing with a lot of patients who have silicone oil and in their eye, and, and thanks to John and his tremendous uh, retina population, I'm probably doing silicone filled eyes. Um, at least three or four a month at this point. So um, not a ton, but enough to... That's, to... Not, uh, that's not always a compliment, by the way, for the retina person. <laughs> you're doing a lot. But we have a lot of bad diabetics here in Kentucky. So Absolutely. Anyway, no, those, those are... And, and no, no way did I mean that. But this is a, a patient population who, um, as you mentioned, we take care of a lot of people who are really just sick, sick patients, sick diabetics. And that's, that's the only hope they have for keeping their retina attached. So for doctors who are going to be doing cataract surgery and eyes with silicone oil in the vitreous, there's a few rules of thumb you just need to keep in mind. And basically the first rule of thumb is if the eye has silicone oil in it, you need to make sure that when you're doing biometry, you're doing it in silicone oil mode. And that's for any biometer. Now, if you know the oil is going to be coming out, you don't really need to make any adjustments to the lens calculations from your printout. You just need to make sure that the measurements were done in the silicone oil mode. So if you know the oil is coming out, very simple, you just need to select the right mode. Now it's much trickier if you think that the silicone oil is going to be staying in. 
The reason for that is the refractive index of the silicone oil is very close to the refractive index of most modern IOLs. And because of that, the silicone oil in the vitreous is basically going to negate the power on the back surface of your IOL. So in talking to some folks like Warren Hill, you know, there's a couple couple options. One option is to add about eight diopters of power to the lens choice on the printout. Um, the other is basically to double the power of the IOL. And so you're going to kind of have to figure out what works best in, in each scenario. It depends on the length of the eye. Um, but in general, I, I typically use an equiconvex lens, so the power is about the same on the front and the back. And I tend to, uh, I tend to double the power of the lens, and that's worked out relatively well. Now, the third option is if you have an eye that does not have silicone oil in it, but you've been told from your retina colleague that silicone oil is going to be placed in this eye. And in that situation, you, you just want to do your biometry um, with the regular setting, but make that same adjustment of either adding about eight diopters or doubling the power of your lens. Um, and those, those are kind of the rules of thumb uh, that, you, that you want to stick with. There's a lot of thinking that has to go into this, and so um, I'm happy to help with cases um, if, if that's ever needed. Because again, you know, John and I are taking care of a fair number of patients on a monthly basis who who need that, um, and so I've had a little bit of practice with it. But it is something that uh, you kind of have to think through every every time. So, John, just to switch gears a little bit, um, you know, one thing that I find extraordinarily valuable in having a retina um, a person around is Number one, those those in-between cases where I'm looking at a cataract and I think, you know, is it the retina? Is it the cataract? Um, maybe they've got some macular degeneration and I think, man, they're 2050. This cataract is getting worse. I can definitely tell they have some cataract, but I'm not really sure that they're going to get that wow effect if I take the cataract out. Or I just want, your, I want a second opinion to help reassure the patient that they're getting optimal care, and also, honestly, just to get your opinion as to whether um, the visual loss is coming more from the cataract or more from the retina. So um, what do you find when you're getting referrals um, such as this from cataract surgeons who are just wanting that second opinion or reassurance to say, you know, can you, would you agree that this is ready or, uh, you know, give me the thumbs up or thumbs down? So I tell you, Gary, I think the biggest thing is, is that it's never harmful to ask. You know, I mean, I can tell you, that we do have seen a number of patients uh, with, you know, cataract surgery, multifocal IOLs primarily, and, and that are not happy. And, and the main reason is, is because they have macular pathology that was not addressed beforehand. And so setting those patient expectations are really huge. And that's why seeing those patients with any kind of macular process, epiretinal membrane, vitreomacular traction, dry AMD with some drusen or some atrophy is really kind of the most important thing because I think just the fact that you refer that patient establishes with them, hey, you know what, I'm not just here to take your cataract out. We're here to provide comprehensive care for your eye. And, and it also sets their expectations from the standpoint of, hey, you know what, I may have something else going on. And, and it's important the way we talk to those patients to be able to say, hey, look, you have this thing going on in your eye. And, and I think you're going to benefit from cataract surgery, but realize that if you don't get back to 2020, this is why, you know. Um, for, from my standpoint, when it's an in-between thing, I would always defer to having the cataract taken out first. 
and, and saying, hey, you know what, if we need to come back and do something else to fix your retina, that's great. If it's obvious, we want to do a combined case. But if it's not so obvious, I would say, you know what, it's safer, it's easier. Go, have, go ahead and have Dr. Words take out your cataract. And then if you don't see better, you know, then we'll do your macular pucker, your macular traction, or whatever it may be. And I'm always surprised. 80% of those patients that have combined pathology, that it's up in the air, that we say take the cataract out first, 80% of them do not need a retinal procedure after that because they come back and they've improved by a couple lines and they go, you know what, my vision's better, I feel great, I'm able to read, I don't necessarily think I need that retina surgery. Yeah, you know, what I find is that in the whole um, scheme of taking care of patients and, and it seems that anything you find or anything that you diagnose preoperatively is the patient's problem and anything that you find postoperatively, at least in the patient's mind, is something that you did to them or caused. Um, I didn't come up with that. I've heard that from a number of docs, um, you know, throughout the years, but it's, it really is a true statement. And so I think by calling a timeout and sending someone for a second opinion, it really does allow them to um, realize their eye is different. You know, one thing I, I always say is it seems that everybody's neighbor um, was 2020 and had, you know, a painless surgery and, you know, is like a miraculous cataract surgery. And so it's nice when you can educate someone to say, you know, you're not just like your neighbor. You're not just like the average cataract patient. And these are the reasons why. And I'd like you to go see this doctor. I'd like to see Dr. Kitchens to really get another opinion about what's the best course. And when you do that, I feel like it builds trust with the patient. It sets appropriate expectations. And it also allows a neutral third party, such as yourself, to really, you know, advise whatever you feel like is best. And that way I don't feel like I'm in any way pushing the patient into a procedure that they may or may not want or may or may not benefit from. And it really, you know, I feel like I'm, a, I'm doing the, uh, you know, kind of the Boy Scout thing of, you know, really doing the right thing for the patient. Absolutely. And it's, like I said, so much easier for us to operate on a pseudophagic patient versus a phagic patient. I tell our, our, our fellows oftentimes, Gary, I say, you know what, our job is to keep the patient out of the OR. If we do our job, patients that are borderline on needing surgery won't need surgery. And so, you know, I, I love operating. It's my favorite thing. But more importantly, I never look for surgeries to do. So that's why I like having the fact that, you know, if we can get the cataract out and, and make sure that that takes care of their problem, that's great. The worst thing ever is to go in and do an epiretinal membrane surgery and the patient drops to from 2060 to 2100, you know, because of their cataract, and you only get them back to 2060. Right. I would much rather take that 2060 patient and make them 2040 and, and then go, okay, now let's address your epiretinal membrane or let's watch you and, and the patient's better. Well, let's, you know, let's explore that a little bit, um, maybe on a different subset of patients. Um, you know, when I was in residency, it seemed like, there were just a number of patients who were complaining of floaters. You know, this is just a chronic thing that we all experience. And, you know, I, it seemed like since that time with the advent of, of smaller gauge, you know, 25 gauge vitrectomies, faster surgeries, safer surgeries, that more and more patients who have bothersome floaters um, end up actually getting a really nice result by having their floaters removed. And the reason I'm kind of trying to tie this in is, you know, a lot of times we think about retina patients in terms of people who have um, poor visual potential or some 
compromise visual potential. But sometimes these are patients, uh, especially the floater patients or the patients with vitreous floaters, are patients who have normal retinas, who may have a multifocal lens or may have a nice refractive result from a cataract surgery, but they're actually really you know, absolutely bothered by their floaters. And to be honest, I've sent a couple of those patients to you, you've taken care of them, and I've really been astounded at the improvement in their quality of vision, their quality of life that that provides. And so this is really the flip side of that coin, but it really is a problem that I think now is being adequately addressed by surgical intervention. So what are you, you know, what are your thoughts about that? You're taking care of patients who are actually really bothered by their floaters and, you know, you know, providing a surgical solution. You know, Gary, I tell you, it's one of those things that's kind of the, the redheaded stepchild of, of retina is, is vitrectomy for floaters. And I'll tell you that I think there's a few pearls for taking care of these patients. I think the first thing is obviously patient selection. You know, you want to make sure that this patient is bothered by their floaters. You know, you want to ask them, you know, and, and preoperative screening is huge for these patients. You want to basically say to them, hey, you know what, have you, you know, do you have problems driving? Are you worried about driving because you lose cars in the floater? Um, the floater distracts you from, you know, from what you're seeing as far as that goes, and you, you just don't feel comfortable reading or you don't feel comfortable doing those activities of daily living. And if they respond positively that that happens and that that happens 80 to 90% of the time, then you realize they're very impactful. And some of those patients, in fact, most of those patients are the happiest patients I have. And it's hard to operate on a 20-20 eye. You know, I mean, for, for you all operating on a 20-20 cataract or whatever is almost impossible. And for us, we look, and many of these patients are 20-20, 20-25, but they're profoundly affected by this. And they've been told time and time again, we can't do anything for you. Don't think about surgery. It's too dangerous. But realistically, with small-gauge surgery, 25-gauge, 27-gauge surgery, where you don't have to suture most of these wounds, and, and considering these patients already have a posterior vitreous detachment, where you're not now worried about inducing a posterior vitreous detachment, where you can cause tears peripherally and things such as that, they really are very straightforward cases. And, and I often tell the patients, especially if they're pseudophagic, I, I always hesitate to operate on the phagic patients because I know I'm going to give them a cataract. And I'll tell them that. I'll say, you know, I'd love to take out your floaters, but honestly, I'm going to give you a cataract. And that's a whole other subset of problems. But I'll, I'll talk to these patients and I'll say, you know, look, I'm going and I can do this procedure and I think there's a 95% chance we'll get rid of your floaters to a significant degree and you may want your other eye done. And I'll tell you, I mean, 95% want to have their other eye done after we, we get done with that, especially in those pseudophagic patients. I also think as a clinical pearl that there's something about those multifocal IOLs and I don't know if it's the multifocality or if it's the, the expectations of the patient. But those patients are more bothered by floaters and actually may be more, may benefit more from a vitrectomy for the floaters um, in those cases. So I don't want to basically say, hey, you know what, you should do floaterectomies for all your floater patients. I certainly think for those patients who are profoundly bothered by the floaters, you've given them four to six months after they've, the onset of symptoms for those to clear up and they haven't. Um, and that are pseudophagic are the ideal candidates for a vitrectomy for floaters. You know, I, I think those are great pearls. And, um, you know, I think just kind of in summary of all of this, I think just 
um, having a retina person or a cataract uh, guy on the, on the other end of the phone that you know is not going to uh, leave you hanging. You know, you know, from my standpoint, I never want to send a patient to you who has had a multifocal and, and, you know, has macular pathology and vice versa. You know, I don't want to take out a cataract in someone who, you know, may have had a vitrectomy that I didn't know about or, you know, was compromised in, in other ways. And, and I can, I can say, I'm just so thankful to have uh, such a great uh, retina doc in town that I can refer patients to and uh, patients benefit from having uh, these kind of conversations and having thoughtful care. So uh, for that, with that being said, John, I just want to say thank you for um, the care you've provided to my patients, the opportunity to, to operate on your patients, and uh, also just for coming on the program tonight. Thanks, Gary. The feeling is definitely mutual, and I think that all of the uh, listeners of this of this can realize that there is so much synergy that can happen between anterior segment and posterior segment that can really make it fun and enjoyable and, uh, and can benefit our patients. And that's it for this episode for Ophthalmology Off the Grid. If you'd like to hear more episodes, visit itube.net backslash podcast. This is Dr. Gary Wirtz. Thanks for tuning in. Ophthalmology Off the Grid is supported by Elevro from Alcon.